Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would hover over this congregation and that you would create new life in them. That you would break down the barriers of our heart. You would remove distractions, remove what's, you know, thoughts from today, Lord, thoughts for the week. And you would allow us to focus on your word. Plant in us, Lord, a seed today, Lord. I pray that even if it's one person today that hears the word and is changed and believes, Lord, that you would make that marvelous purpose, that marvelous work happen this morning. May Christ be the center. May he be high and lifted up. May he be seen upon this platform and nothing other. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So as we just read, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 really nail on the head what John's gospel is all about. We've been going through this series. This is the second week in a four-part series about testimonies. Uh, Last week, Doug spoke about the woman of the well and her testimony from the gospel of John. John has many testimonies, many signs, many pieces of evidence that point you to a single word and a single action, and that is belief. In the book of John, the word pastuo, which is Greek for belief, to believe, is used 98 times in John's gospel. That's more than the synoptic gospels, the first three gospels combined. So the goal of John's gospel clearly is to believe, as it's said many different times, as it said in John 20. But these signs, marks, evidence, these testimonies that you have read, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. In John chapter 6, they inquired of Jesus, what must we do to perform the works of God? What dance must we dance? What prayer must we do? What amount of money should we give? Jesus answers this way, this is the work of God, that you believe. In him who he has sent, that Christ is the Messiah. So let's keep this in mind. The works of God is to believe. The goal of John is that you may believe. The testimonies of this book, the testimonies of your life are so that others may believe. And that the saints, the congregation, might be edified. Amen? All right, let's turn to John chapter 9. I have it on on the screen as well, and I skip around a little bit for the purpose of time. It's a big chapter. There's a lot we can cover here, but I want to zoom in on a few key points to the testimony of the man who was born blind. So hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 9. As he passed by, that is Jesus, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, Jesus, he spat on the ground and made mud with his saliva. 
Then he anointed the man's eyes with that mud and said to him, Go, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went, he washed, and he came back seeing. Skipping ahead to verse 24, the man has this miraculous miracle happen to him. He goes to his friends, his family, the Pharisees, and no one believes him. People got questions for him. People say, no, it couldn't have been you. You must be a different man. He's brought forth the synagogue. No one is celebrating this miracle. And for a second time, they bring this man before the synagogue. They called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this Jesus is a sinner. The man answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, get this clear, write this down, just the facts. I was blind and now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The man answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. I told you once, I'm telling you twice. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You're his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, Jesus, you, his his followers, we do not know where he comes from. So the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. He opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. You know, he's, he's still not fully understanding what Christ is about to do in his life. But if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has anyone heard that someone has been opened, had their eyes open after being born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's not the way I see it anyway. And the Pharisees answered him, you were born in utter sin. And you would teach us. And they cast them out. They excommunicated this man from the synagogue. Big move. Key point here, verse 35. Jesus heard. Jesus heard that they had cast this man out. And having found him, pursuing the man, he asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Very close parallel to John 6, John 4, the woman at the well. Where is this living water that I may drink of it? Jesus says, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who, those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him, the Pharisees that are always nearby, said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. So to help us unlock this testimony in in this, this passage, and there's a lot here. I broke it into four pieces. There's the question of sin that is posed by the disciples. Big deal. Big question. 
the physical healing that happens to the man by Jesus, the testimony of this man before his friends, family, and the synagogue, and the spiritual healing, the belief of the man, the worship of the man towards Jesus. So the question of sin, why was this man born blind? And what I love about the gospel, one of the many, many things I love about the gospel, but what I know it's true And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't hide away from the tough questions. He doesn't push them under the rug. In fact, he approaches them head on. He heals this man, knowing fully it's the Sabbath. Could have done it on a Monday. Knowing fully the Pharisees were nearby. Jesus approaches this knowing the questions that could be asked. And the disciples strolling along with Jesus, being good Jews and and trying to probably impress Jesus with their theological knowledge, come upon this man, instead of having compassion or or wondering what the Lord could do with them, they ask this question, who sinned Jesus? Was it this dude, this guy here, or his parents? They give him two options. Now it's important to look at how Jesus answers this. And it's important to also think about what Jesus didn't say. So first of all, personal sin. Did this man, was he born blind because of his personal sin? Well, Jesus answers this head on. But we also think about what this question implies. The question of why did this happen to this man? Why did bad things happen to good people? Why is this man born blind? Why did so and such and such happen to me? What about my testimony? Yada, yada, yada. Why did it happen? Is there a cause? What's the cause of the sin? Well, Jesus doesn't talk about personal sin, has nothing to do with the personal sin of the man. He doesn't talk about karma, which even though it has religious implications, is something that a lot of us fall into subconsciously. What goes around comes around, man. Somehow, somehow, where something happened, I don't know. Caste system, maybe it was his past life. Seriously, this takes on just head on against half, you know, more than half of the world's belief. Jesus doesn't even go down the road of original sin, which he could have done. And in my mind, in my little office and pastor, I'm like, okay, so original sin, I'm going to write down here the reason for the sin of the man. And I I want to go down this theological route, which Jesus could have done, which we all could do. And I think is part of the error of the disciples. Because that's not where Jesus went. Not this time. Not for the purpose. Not for the testimony of what John's trying to tell us with what Jesus' purpose with this man. And the other thing Jesus didn't say is that he didn't know. He didn't, he didn't apply this to meaninglessness, to chaos. Here's what Jesus did say, the purposes of God. He says emphatically, it was not this man that sinned. It was not his fault or his parents. Get that out of your head. It was not. It was so that the works you may believe, as John says, of God might be displayed in him and through him. Amen? Amen. That has huge implications for you and I. Huge. Stick with me. The disciples asked about causes. Jesus answered with purposes. Amen. The purposes of God are beyond even necessarily our deterministic understanding of why this man got here. Jesus was doing something because when you're in the presence of the Messiah, of Jesus the Christ, of the one who was crucified and rose again, who overcome and overcame death, the purposes matter most. The purposes. 
He is saying to the disciples, turn away from your fixation on causality as a decisive explanation of suffering, of handicap. That's not anything to do with it. And turn away from any surrender to futility or absurdity or chaos or meaninglessness and turn towards the purposes and the plans of God. You're in the presence of Jesus, man. What's the at-hand situation here, disciples? Huge teaching moment. Where's your compassion? For instance, Jesus feeding the 5,000. What was the situation? The disciples, they come running over. Jesus, we got 5,000 people here. How are we going to feed them? Give it to me. What do you got? Well, we got a couple of loaves and some fish. That'll do. They gave it to Jesus. And what happened? Everyone ate their share with leftovers. Give it to Jesus. Every situation, regardless of how you got there, regardless of the cause, what got you there in the first place, the originality of it all, it's meant to be given to Jesus. Because, man, we're on the side of the resurrection. You give it to Jesus. He can redeem all things with blessing to spare. This is good truth. And I want this to free you this morning. Because this is for all of us. It was for me. It's still for me. I hope it can be for you day after day. The sign of this man was accompanied by a command. And this is a huge, another piece of this. He was sent to wash, without which he could not have returned seeing. So what could have happened? It happens to a lot of us. happened to me for a long time. Jesus comes along, got the mud, spat the saliva, placed it on the face. You're standing there, oh, what the, what, what's going on here? You can go, well, this, this guy's crazy. Get this off my, get out of here. And never went to wash. And never received sight. And I've sat here with the mud on my face for a while. What is this about? This stinks. This is gross. This hurts. I can't see. What's this about? How'd I get here? Jesus gave a command. Go wash. You've been sent, the literal name of the pool, to go in faith, to place everything in the hands of Christ. This healing is huge. So he went back, he washed, and he came back seeing. Whether healed, and Jesus, this is why John is such a great gospel, because there are many different stories that approach the same question of belief, but get to it in different ways. This is where you start to approach it with your testimony. Whether healed or not healed, God's purposes are so the works of God may be displayed and for others to believe, for you to believe. Remember that Jesus let Lazarus die. He let him die. Could have healed him. Why? Because the purposes of God ultimately are not necessarily for physical healing. It could, some could say, you know, it's rather cruel of Jesus to let Lazarus die of something else. The purpose of God was so that others will believe and that you will believe. Your testimony is so that others will believe, believe, believe. 98 times. That's the importance. You can think of people like Jody Erickson Tata. Paralyzed from the neck down. Paints beautiful beautiful canvases with her teeth for the glory of God. No one can tell her that God didn't have purposes in her life, regardless of the situation. Corey Ten Boom, her whole family was murdered by Nazis in World War II. 
she was preaching and the very man who did it walked in to the sanctuary. And she forgave him. God's purposes. My, there's a, Nathan Stiles in the Stiles family. Some of you may know this name. Nathan Stiles was a great, great buddy of mine. We grew up together. He went to Spring Hill. I went to Paola. He attended my mom's church. My mom's a pastor in Hillsdale, Kansas. He was a football player. He was a leader of the youth group. Had a passion, a heart for his peers. He's a Jesus follower. He's a great friend of mine. You know, we used to go on escapades together. We used to go to Walmart because that was the only thing to do. And we'd walk in circles and go play on the GameCube. Watch movies and hang out and, and pray for one another. He was a great leader. Not perfect, but he was a great, great brother of mine. And to many others, many, many others consider him a great friend. But I spent a lot of time with Nathan. and He was actually in our band. I had a band and he was the lead singer. I had a great singing voice and sang in church. And it was the senior year of high school. And Nathan was a star running back. And it was actually the last game of the season for Spring Hill High School. And currently, myself, a couple of our friends in the band were in the studio. He decided to pursue football that year. And we were in the studio recording some of the songs he helped write and keeping tabs on the football score. But they were winning by a large margin. Nathan had just run off the field after scoring his fifth touchdown. And he runs off to the field to the sideline. And he passes out. I remember getting the call that Nathan um, has passed out and they were in a lifeline to the hospital. And obviously it's a very serious situation, but Nathan had, had suffered some injuries in the past. He had a few concussions. And these things, you know, you don't always expect things to be the worst case situation. And as the night went on, it started to get late. We started, kept getting updates, you know. Nathan hasn't woken up yet. We began to pray and we said, okay, we need to get, we need to, get to the hospital. It's getting pretty serious. And I remember uh, got, in the, got in the car with my dad and my brother and driving to the hospital. And about two minutes before we get there, I get a call from one of my good friends who was also in this group and was in the band. And, he, and I just hear kind of muffled on the end of the line and the person crying. And then I hear, man, Luke, our buddy's gone. Nathan's gone. And obviously anyone who's, who's ever experienced death in that way, in a young way, in a shocking way, you, just, you go into another dimension, really. Think, things become wraithy, wispy, and you lose track of time. And I remember going into the, the hospital and seeing the hallway lined with, with cheerleaders and football players of both teams, students, teachers, family and friends. And it was just quiet. And I remember turning the corner and going into Nathan's room and there was, there was my buddy. There was Nathan. His body. And, and I don't, you know, he wasn't, there was definitely a case that he, didn't, he wasn't there anymore. But I remember seeing his parents and obviously there's nothing, you know, there's no, no amount of grief you can explain when you see a mother or a father lose a kid. It's the, it's the absolute worst. It is hell. 
And I remember we went home that early morning with, with his parents and his sister, and we just walked the house together, grieving with one another, just trying to be a support for them in any way we could, just in this terrible time. And I remember we walked downstairs, where it was kind of like where they had, we'd have a youth group down there, watch movies, hang out, play games. And there was, a, there was a sofa, and across from the sofa was a coffee table. And on that sofa was still like an imprint from where Nathan had been sitting that morning. His imprint was still in there. And across the coffee table was his Bible. It was opened up where he had been reading it that morning, where he had spent his, his quiet time with the Lord before he went off to school. And at that moment, everyone in the room, through the Holy Spirit, knew that God was up to something. That God was, had purposes beyond this. Now, I'm not to say that it wasn't, that everything all of a sudden the light cleared away and we were all fine and dandy. No, not at all. But we knew somehow subtly that the Lord was doing something. And three days later, at the celebration of life for Nathan, his funeral, Spring Hill High School was packed to the brim. Over 2,000 people. And his parents, they put some money together. They got some quick donations. And they went out and they bought a bunch of Bibles. Not totally sure as to what or why, but they knew, okay, Nathan's got a Bible. He cared about the Lord. He left his imprint even on the couch. He left his imprint on his friends and his peers. Let's see if we can get people to just take Bibles. What's the Lord going to do with this? What did they do? Jesus, we don't, <laughs> where are we going to feed these people? Give it to me. They put their faith, they put this tragedy in the hands of Christ. And he was about to work a marvelous purpose. A marvelous act to cause people to believe. And that night, they gave away 500 plus Bibles. And I saw rows and rows of people come down to give their life to Jesus and take a Bible for the first time. And that spread from there. And to this day, the Nathan Project that has been formed has given out over 50,000 Bibles to people who had never had one before. And almost just as many people have come to the Lord, if not more, because of that testimony. Parents, friends, family, they asked this question of the disciples. Who's at fault, Jesus? Why'd this happen? And Nathan's parents, by trusting in Jesus and his purposes and not getting caught up in the meaninglessness that's easy to get into, and the causality, placed it in Christ's hands. And it's, it's grown and grown into this marvelous purpose of God. I remember Ron, he says this to this day. I still visit with Ron in the jails. He goes day after day to the jails, to juvenile halls, giving out Bibles and doing Bible studies because of Nathan's testimony, because of what Christ has done. And, and Ron says this, these are not my words. If Nathan had lived to be a hundred, I don't believe he would have had the same impact as his testimony has had through death. His words, not this kid who's bystander. No, the father's words. That's hard to say. That is not easy to say. But because of what Christ has done and is doing, he can say such a beautiful thing. So don't just wipe the mud off. Sometimes you've got to let the mud sit. Grieve it. You have to, you know, there's stuff you have to struggle with. I get that. But what's the command? Wipe it off and go and wash. Wash it off. Take it to the river. 
listen to Jesus. Give it to him. Forget about the the causality, the hurt, the pain. Jesus is going to do a great thing. I said the Nathan part to get 50,000 Bibles. It's been a great thing, a great testimony. So the spiritual healing of all this. Christ not only desired for us to believe. John didn't just desire for the book for us to believe, but also for this man born blind to believe. The story didn't just end there with him being cast out. The Lord sought him out as he's seeking you out now. Be freed by these words. Be freed by these words, church. Jesus is seeking you out. His word is alive and active. His Holy Spirit is here with us. Jesus is waiting with arms stretched wide, prepared for you to give your testimony, your purpose to him. He can make a great thing for each and every one of you all have the opportunity, the purpose, the understanding, the life story to tell of what Jesus has done. The man and the Jews, they were wrong. They said, God doesn't listen to sinners. He does. Particularly when they put their faith in Him. God has purpose for them. Jesus had purpose for the Pharisees. He really did. He sought them out constantly. He set up situations where they would be drawn in. He said in John 5, you refuse to come to me to have life. That's what he speaks about the blind. If you say you can see, you cannot receive from me. I came for the sick, yo. I did. You can't come to the doctor unless you know you got a pain. Something's wrong. You come to get healed. As long as you say everything's fine, you can never experience the grace of God. So is suffering actually an act of God's grace? Is it his megaphone to rouse a deaf world? Wake up. Jesus did not leave this man healed physically, yet broken spiritually. Jesus sought him out, and the man believed and worshipped Jesus. He did not worship him on the basis of physical healing. He worshipped Jesus on the basis of spiritual healing. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. You'd come to me for healing. But you say we see and your guilt remains. And you stand on your own accord. Remember that suffering is the biggest platform for the gospel. How can James say, count it all joy, brothers, when you suffer? Same with Paul. People are giving their lives to Christ because of the reminder that He is everything. He is the fulfillment. Put today, take today, regardless of the situation, regardless of the causality, place it in Jesus' hand. What is your pain or disability that you have not given to Jesus? You all have one. What grand purpose could Jesus have for your life? He has one. What is your testimony, church? And if you don't believe, today's the day. Believe the one the Lord has sent. He has taken your sin upon the cross. Do you know your pain? Do you know your sin? He's nailed it there. By placing your faith in Him, you can have life. And Jesus says, I will come back and take you to be with me. This is good news. This is the gospel. If you don't know it, I challenge you to ask Him. Ask the Lord. Well, what's this all about? Help my unbelief. I want to believe. Take my life. Take everything. Take all that I am and use it for your purposes. I can't answer why everything happens the way or is allowed to happen. 
But just like this man, one thing I do know is this. The cross. One thing I do know is I was blind, church. I was blind, but now I see. Insert what God has done for you. That's your testimony to the world. I end with this quote from Martin Luther. He says, I have held many things in my hands. And I've lost them all in my hands. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And you will possess eternally. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You have blessed us beyond belief. And I pray that your spirit would penetrate the hearts of this congregation. Even if it's one person here, Lord, that needs to hear this message, Lord. Spirit, open them up. Work on them. Remind them that this is not, nothing is meaningless in your eyes. Because Christ is in the room. His spirit is in the room. Lord, remind us of that every moment. Let us cross and pass it over to you, Jesus. Break, just take away, Lord, the ridiculous thoughts of our head, the meaninglessness. You are so good, Father. May Christ be glorified this day, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen.